nearly two decades. The award-winning Your Financial Editor Program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Good Saturday to you. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor, right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And, of course, you can listen to the program uh, as uh, a podcast on iTunes. Just uh, go to iTunes and search your financial editor, and that's where it'll be. So uh, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope your uh, weekend's going well. Um, and I'm glad to be back. I was off for a couple weeks. So, uh, first, uh, live program back in the studio, uh, for a while now. So, um, glad to, uh, to, to be here. Uh, happy 2021 to all of you. I hope you had a nice Christmas, uh, nice Hanukkah, uh, nice, uh, New Year's. And, um, you know, we're right back at it for 2021 as far as uh, covering all the financial markets, the financial data, the economic data, what the Fed's doing and talking with people who know what they're talking about uh, to get a inside perspective uh, on certain things that impact uh, all of those areas I just mentioned a couple moments ago. So and actually today joining me, uh, Miss Laura Reese, she was just on a few months ago talking about. Um, the importance of border security. So uh, now we're going to see a change in that. She actually wrote another piece. I, say, I think I saw it in the Washington Examiner uh, this week. So I reached out to uh, Laura, and she uh, was more than happy to come on and talk to us today about some things. Um, because, again, you know, when you talk about the border and the security that uh, that goes along with it, um, it's extremely important, the drugs, the, the trafficking, human trafficking, the, you know, just all the bad things and just the danger that can come through the border and how that may uh, be impacting our uh, our national security, which, of course, spills over to our financial security. So we'll be talking about that in just a couple minutes. A lot went on this week, as everybody knows. Um, everything is hyperbolic as far as uh, politics go. People are dug in. And um, we saw uh, uh, just uh, some crazy things that, you know, I guess we never thought that we would see. And, um, it, you know, it uh, unfolded fairly quickly. And um, I know that they're trying to find out who really is responsible. And if they don't or can't, then something's extremely wrong. And we should get, uh, you, you know, some kindergartners in charge of the FBI and the other law enforcement agencies because of facial recognition, all of these pictures that they pose for, uh, it should be super easy to find these people that were violent and um, and destructive, scrub their social media, and uh, figure out really what they're all about, who they are, and, you know, go from there and punish them. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, I know everybody's interested, or I hope everyone's interested in that. Uh, on the the money side of all this, um, with uh, a new administration um, and new elected officials, right away you see the kowtowing by, you know, the, the uh, business people out there. It's hilarious this week. You know, we heard from people from one coast to the other, from Wall Street to Silicon Valley, uh, joining in and, and making sure that they were heard over this particular um, protest and, uh, and the violence that ensued from it. Hadn't heard from them the rest of the year. 
which is extremely interesting. But, you know, again, they want to make sure that um, when they want to be heard and how they want to be heard, that's how it all comes off. Apple's uh, CEO, Tim Cook, said that the, the violence, quote, marks a sad and shameful chapter in our nation's history. Those responsible for this insurrection should be held accountable. Um, well, what about China child labor and no tolerance for those who believe and support uh, certain things? I mean, because he's just talking, uh, you know, out of both sides of his mouth, really, or trying to. Um, then you had Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, say, quote, I strongly condemn the violence in our nation's capital. This is not who we are as a people or a country. Um, Jamie Dimon, I always say, sticks his finger in the air and tries to figure out which way the wind's blowing and how he can benefit the best uh, and most from it. And then he's going to make his statements or take a side. Uh, then you had BlackRock chairman and CEO Larry Fink who came out and said uh, an assault on our nation, our democracy, and the will of the American people. You know, he just totally condemns it in the strongest possible terms, which, you know, who wouldn't? But, again, he wants to grandstand. This is the man who keeps getting passed over for Treasury Secretary. I mean, he tried to get Hillary elected so that he could be the Treasury Secretary if she would do it for him, and it just keeps fleeting, you know? I mean, Janet Yellen's already been tagged for it. So once again, he's uh, left out in the cold. I don't know who he made mad, but uh, it was somebody out of all of these people. Again, you know, Cisco and Goldman Sachs and you just name it, you know, one company after another uh, coming out, you know, getting righteous all of a sudden about a protest and or the violence that goes with it is uh, it's just crazy and Barstool Sports president Dave Portnoy, who has been raising millions and millions of dollars for small businesses. I mean, like he's saving bowling alleys and restaurants and clothing stores. He is he's doing what everybody else says they want to do or they want the government to do. He's actually getting it done. And he this week said and 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 I would li I do listen to him now because I see that he raised I think it's over 20 million dollars for these small businesses. And God bless him for doing that. That's not your money. That's not a stimulus relief package filled with pork for uh, you know the easiest one to make fun of is the Kennedy Center. This guy is going out and challenging people to donate to legitimate small businesses that are getting pummeled. And what did he say this week? He said 95% of Americans are normal. And and that's it's the extreme right and the extreme left that suck is actually his term that he used. He said both sides filled with lunatics, crazies, and morons. And we know that. And then he also said... Spot on. And almost all politicians are hypocrites who manipulate these idiots for personal gain. And, um, you know, it's just really a shame. But anyway, that's what uh, corporate America was saying this week. They decided, you know, again, that they wanted to raise their hand and be heard and feel and look important so that when they go to their next board meeting, 
I guess, you know, they can't be shamed if they have somebody on the board that um, is, um, you know, definitely in the tank for somebody. Something else, uh, you know, we saw that um, there was something called or or it is called um, Moms for America, and uh, they were talking this week, calling for Americans to stand up and reject evil, to reject. Uh, Marxism. I'm telling you, man, everybody's, uh, it seems like they're all moving. They, they, you, you see this groundswell of people positioning themselves, taking on, um, things that they know are wrong. And, um, it seems like they're also, you know, really digging in. And it's going to be, uh, fun. Not the violence. I don't mean that, of course, but fun to watch how this all plays out because, America is really toe to toe right now, I think, uh, you know, from uh, each side of the aisle and in between. So all I saw stuff from all kinds, as I'm sure you did this week, all kinds of people as far as, um, you know, how they feel about things, how they're going to address it, what they're going to do, uh, the side they're going to come down on. Is it going to be all talk or is it going to be action? And um, that's going to start to play out more and more, I think, as the the 2021 year moves on. Um, It was good to see that the Treasury Secretary, Steven Mnuchin, stepped in this week and did some important things, even though nobody was paying attention. So the New York Stock Exchange um, had said, yeah, we're going to delist five Chinese companies on the New York Stock Exchange that benefit the Chinese military. Duh. I mean, who, what, why are they even on there? How, how foolish is that? Who let that happen originally? But anyway, the administration, I think led by Secretary Mnuchin and probably Secretary Mike Pompeo, um, Secretary of State, you know, they are involved as to who's getting money, our money, um, and making money off of us. And then, of course, it's going for the Chinese Communist Party or, uh, another uh, beneficiary that we wouldn't want to have that. But right now we're talking about China. So the New York Stock Exchange says, yes, you're right. We're going to delist these five companies. Then they turn right around a couple days later and say, no, we're not. So, again, I don't know where that pressure came from. Who would say no to that? Mr. Mnuchin went back and said, you guys, you know, and I think basically laid out the proof again. So luckily, um, the New York Stock Exchange is, um, it it looks like they're going to delist China Telecom, China Mobile, China Unicom. And again, that was after uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin reached out to the president of the NYSC and explained why they should be delisted, which, again, I don't know how much explaining you would really need to provide. But um, this, again, this move with them to to kind of change their mind came just days after the exchange said it had begun um, uh, the process, um, you know, of, of reinstating them or I guess not uh, starting the steps to delist them. But this is crazy. I mean, you know. The administration said back in, I think it was November, and we talked about it here on the Your Financial Editor program, any transaction in publicly traded securities or any securities that are derivative of 
or are designed to provide investment exposure to such securities of any communist Chinese military company is really a bad thing. And we shouldn't allow it. We shouldn't let it happen. So um, interesting. And hopefully they'll, the New York Stock Exchange will stick to their guns and delist those companies and any other companies uh, that would aid and help build up the Chinese military, especially since they've said publicly that they want to overtake the United States. So just go ahead and pick. Again, it's real simple. You're either for America or you're for China. Um, and I mean against the Chinese Communist Party, not the people that are oppressed over there. But, you know, you really do. You have to make a decision and, um, and, and do your homework on that. And then also we heard from the World Bank this week, uh, the president, Dave Malpass, David Malpass, said that uh, several countries are already in deep debt distress and more will join their ranks. So Mr. Malpass, during a teleconference, said for some countries, it's a red alert. We need to find ways to adjust the debt burden so that the burden of debt on people in poorer countries can be reduced dramatically. He said Zambia had already defaulted on some of their debt and restructurings were underway in Angola and Ecuador. Why? Because the virus... Again, that came out of China, which now they've got another lockdown, uh, lockdown um, with some, I think it was 10 million people around Shanghai, the providence around Shanghai. But anyway, this virus has killed just under 1.9 million, I think, was the last number I saw around the world. But guess who it's hitting the hardest? The emerging markets, the poorer countries. It's just devastating them even worse than what it's doing to us. We act like it's no big deal and we can just keep printing money and going in debt. Um, and that's laughable, too, you know, when people say that. And now they're all excited. And I say they all, I mean, a lot of people, including the financial markets, because it looks like more and more money is going to be um, ordered out of Congress and that's going to help juice things. Don't know how we're going to pay for it or how that's all going to work out, but it is something that um, you know that's uh, that's on its way. I mean, no doubt. Now, look, if you can justify an infrastructure bill that's not doesn't have the Kennedy Center in it, <laughs> um, then fine. I mean, we really should have already had one, and we would have if it wasn't for all the impeachment stuff, all the wasted time. That's something that both sides could have um, easily came to agreement on but again you know we were too worried about having pens made made with our names on them and things of that nature so uh, but we could see uh that kind of bill come out sooner rather than later as far as infrastructure the big question once again what's in it is it really to fix the bridge that has all the potholes in it or is it you know some type of backdoor here take this you know and remember me in two years or four years or six years when i'm up for re-election so um also we saw uh our energy costs go up a little bit and that's because oil is on the move 
So um, this week, again, nobody was talking about it. I was watching the OPEC action, and Saudi Arabia is making a move considered very uh, monogamous. You know, they're acting as the group's leader and stepping up to the plate by volunteering to take production cuts on their own to allow for more production from Russia and Kazakhstan. And that would raise, you know, help those two countries raise about a 75,000 barrel a day um, output. So uh, overall, they're controlling exactly how much is being put out and exactly, you know, how much these uh, countries are making. There's still a lot that overproduction from what they say, and it's, you know, being put on the black market. But um, it was interesting to see that. And all I know is you see the gas prices go up. And when that happens, who's it hurt? It hurt to poor people, you know, and, and folks that are retired on fixed incomes and they need to have that heating oil. Um, whenever, you know, that's an immediate impact. That's not like a, a tax increase that's coming. It's immediate. And you see it because it costs more to, uh, to fill up your car or truck. And, um, also, like I said, to heat your home and people that are poor that really are paycheck to paycheck or a dollar makes a big difference they're the ones that are really um you know taking it on the chin if you will uh for that so um when we come back we'll be talking about some of the economic data a little bit of stuff on the fed and then right after that my uh conversation with miss laura reese and we're going to be talking about border security Damn sure wanna be working like a dog all day ain't working for me. I wish I had a red shovel that'd kick the bucket and I was sitting on a pile. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And, of course, as a podcast on uh, iTunes. So uh, just go to iTunes and um, you can search your financial editor and it will come up for you. So I was talking right before the break there that uh, some economic data this week, obviously some big ones, um, two ISM reports. The first one was a U.S. factory Report from the ISM, it accelerated to its highest level in two and a half years in the month of December. Um, so it was fantastic to see that, uh, especially, you know, we, we're seeing some uh, slowdown in the fourth quarter because of the virus, the resurgence and just the, the mayhem that it's causing once again. But um, we're really looking at a, a good, strong number for manufacturing, 607 was the reading. That's the highest level since August of 2018. Uh, manufacturing accounts for just about 12% of uh, our economy these days. So it was good to see that. Also, a couple of days later, we got the report from the ISM on the non-manufacturing or the service industry. That reading, 57.2. So that was up from where it was in November. And um, it's actually just a tick below where it was 
in February of last year before the virus reached the United States. So really good to see that we, you know, we got a surprise pickup in services as far as that sector goes. Um, and it was very welcome news. And then, you know, we kind of switch gears a little bit. There is different data this week to uh, lead up to the big jobs report yesterday. Um, we saw first on Wednesday that the ADP report uh, slashed jobs for the first time in six months. So companies had uh, cut about 123,000 jobs, according to ADP. And then we got initial jobless claims. They were a little better than last week, but, I mean, 787,000? You can't get excited about that. And it's because of these lockdowns and all the other nonsense that's going on. So um, really, really tough. And we're looking for it to get better, but it's hard. I mean, you're talking about close to 70 million Americans or about 40 percent of the labor force have filed for unemployment benefits during the virus. I mean, the the report this week shows that roughly 19.1 million Americans were receiving some kind of jobless benefit through December 19th. That was the latest data that I saw. So, and I don't want to make you sad, but there was also in a report that I saw from the Department of Labor's Office of the Inspector General, who estimates that at least... $36 billion worth of unemployment payments may have been invalid. So, you know, $360 billion in total unemployment funding was in the uh, the CARES Act back in passed back in March. So the whole thing was $2.2 trillion. Of that, $360 billion in total unemployment funding, and they're saying 10% of that may not be correct think about that 36 billion dollars and then of course you wonder or at least i did where did it go well apparently identity thieves organized crime groups they continue to find holes in the unemployment insurance program and they've exploited that again according to the office of the inspector general that is just doesn't I mean, that's your hard earned money. And then the debt on top of that, you know, for the children, grandchildren, great grandchildren. I can I mean, you know, I don't want to see thirty six dollars misappropriated, thirty six billion. Just an unemployment. That's ridiculous. How can that happen? I know we're a big country and a big economy and unfortunately a big government. But you would think with big government that wouldn't happen, right? You have more people to to uh, double check all the numbers and or the spelling or whatever it might be. But obviously that's not the case. Thirty six billion dollars breaks your heart. And then yesterday, the uh, big jobs report for December from the Labor Department showed that the U.S. economy shed one hundred forty thousand jobs in December. Why? Now, everybody's saying because of the virus and its threat on all the businesses, on our economy, 
on everyone else's economy. Oh, by the way, what economy grew last year for the year? China. So, um, and then the other thing that we saw this week was uh, minutes from the last Federal Reserve meeting uh, back in December. And the Federal Reserve was nearly unanimous in their decision last month to leave their bond buying program unchanged. Um, and they really just left all the doors open as far as what they can do and when they can do it, according to uh, the minutes. I mean, they're basically going to be able to pivot and go any direction they want. Um, they're, they're not being specific at all. But the minutes said that all participants agreed the Fed should commit to leaving the program in place until there was substantial further progress toward its economic goals and nearly all favored keeping the current mix of assets purchased intact rather than focusing, for example, on long-term treasury bonds. So what does that mean? And why does the financial market like it? Zero interest rate policy, which will drive people out of bonds and CDs and money market accounts and everything else and chase returns in the stock market. So that's why you're seeing the market for one or one reason. Um, and then with the monthly bond buying, I think they're at 60 or 70 billion a month right now, a month. Um, of purchasing securities. So that's really, you know, the market loves that. And as I mentioned earlier, just in case you're tuning in, you know, you've got the these newly elected officials, officials now that are going to be coming out with these spending programs that forget about it, man. I mean, it's they're probably going to be the biggest we've ever seen. So what that means, debt, but of course, no one wants to talk about that. They want to talk about Oh, well, that's more money slushing around out there, and that's going to help the financial markets. So know what you have. Make sure it's appropriate um, risk-wise for yourself, and um, make sure it's it's quality stuff, not junk. And um, just be aware. You know, know what's going on like you would any time. But like I said, now it's is a, a different kind of a sunrise, if you will, or sunset. So we want to make sure that everybody is um, paying attention to that and that they're set up as best as possible. You know, a lot of people got wrecked last year in the, uh, you know, with their portfolios and with everything that happened back in um, the early spring when the virus first hit and you had a 30 plus percent drop in just about 30 days. So, um, you know, it was really rough for a lot of people. So. It, I would just encourage you, you know, to make sure that you understand what's what uh, going into uh, this new year of 2020. So when we come back, we'll um, start our conversation with my guest, Miss Laura uh, Reese. And we're going to be talking about border security. Uh, Laura was on just a couple um, months ago or a few months ago. And we were talking about this, uh, this subject and the importance and we're going to continue that because now we know more than we did then. So stay tuned. When your legs don't work like they used to before And I can't sweep you off of your feet Will your mouth still remember the taste of my love? Will your eyes still smile from your cheek? 
It's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And, of course, as a podcast, uh, just go to iTunes and search your financial editor, and uh, you'll have your own po- podcast there to listen to at your uh, your convenience. Or to share with uh, someone if you, if you see fit. Um, I know we get a lot of feedback that people not only listen uh, to the original airing of this, but um, share it, and um, I appreciate that. And we know that we have folks uh, who – have moved out of the Mid-Atlantic uh, area, and uh, they still listen at WFMD.com or the podcast. So thanks for that, too. Really appreciate it. Um, so a few months ago, uh, I spoke with our guest, Miss Laura Reese, who's uh, joining us this morning, and we were talking about um, immigration and the importance of immigration. And it's funny, a lot of people, uh, at first they might say, well, wait a minute, this is a, uh, a financial show and talks about financial markets and the economy and things of that nature. But what we always have to remember is if we don't have national security, we don't have financial security. That always comes first. So this is a very, very important um, subject to make sure, you know, we come back around to. And we know a little more now than we did a few months ago when uh, Miss Reese was nice enough to join us. So we're going to kind of plow forward on that and see what else we can learn this morning and uh, and educate ourselves with. Good morning, Miss Reese. How are you? I'm well, Chris, and thank you for having me on again. No, I appreciate it. And Happy New Year to you. I hope you had a nice, uh, you know, a nice break maybe. And um, and here we go in 2021 in quite the fashion. So um, I appreciate you taking time to join us. It was uh, really a fun uh, conversation the last time we spoke. And um, a, a lot was gained from it as far as, you know, people really, I think, understanding better that tie-in between national security, financial security, um, so, you know, you put a piece out this week, a very good piece, by the way, folks. Um, it was in the, um, in the Washington Examiner and it's titled Biden backpedals on opening border on day one, but the damage is done. So we're going to kind of jump into that and, um, just get your overall take of, um, well, why you, I guess, why you came up with that t- uh, title. So during the campaign, uh, Joe Biden's um, immigration page talked about how he was going to start rolling back some of the Trump uh, immigration policies on day one or within the first 100 days, including uh, ending the uh, Remain in Mexico program that has successfully stopped the caravans of illegal immigrants migrating from Central America. Um, as well as rolling back uh, many of the asylum changes that uh, President Trump has made, which have thankfully um, stopped some of the fraud uh, in, in the asylum process. And with those proclamations by Biden's campaign, um, we, the Border Patrol and Customs and Border Protection have already seen uh, large increases of migrants coming to the southwest border, despite COVID. 
In fact, uh, the numbers show from uh, that Customs and Border Protection has posted that these numbers, uh, starting in, in September of last year, are higher than the numbers we saw in 2019, and that was the Southwest border crisis. Um, so the mere promise or discussion of opening up the border causes people to move north with the hopes that they can enter illegally and stay here and, and work and then bring family here. The smugglers know this. They take advantage of it, and um, they benefit financially, to be sure, at the while these poor immigrants uh, face very dangerous conditions to come here. And um, so since then, now the Biden transition has realized that they don't want to uh, be responsible for another Southwest border crisis. And so they have started backpedaling on the time frame saying, well, you know, this is going to take longer, maybe six months. Um, but, you know, as the numbers bear out that the government has seen, uh, too many people have already come illegally. Right. And we know that that's been a problem, not just for the last, uh, you know, year or two, but for decades. And uh, it was my impression, like when I would listen and read uh, Border Patrol officials in particular, as well as boots on the ground there, that they really had made progress. They really had a lot of support. Um, you know, if it was uh, made sense and was legal for you to come, no biggie. But obviously a crackdown on all of the other stuff um, that wasn't good for many of the individuals that you, as you alluded to, and also um, our country. So um, it's it, it's. I'll just say it like for me, it's scary thinking that this is going to ramp up and more drugs are going to come through. We know about the opioid uh, pandemic that is killing, you know, a ton of people and the heroin and the fentanyl. So that's an obvious thing that's going to uh, become, it sounds, potentially more easily brought into our country to uh, to cause destruction. And then you have, of course, the human trafficking um, that if you can't keep up, that's okay. They'll just leave you there to die along the way. Or maybe, you know, for the poor ladies involved, rape and have their way with them. Um, and for people to say, yeah, you know, we're going to be wide open and to encourage that type of um, behavior and activity, it really does. It, it stretches your mind, I think. Um, so I, I guess it makes sense that Biden would, you know, kind of or whoever um, would start to backpedal on that because it just it's um, it's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Yes, I, I think um, his transition team in meeting with DHS officials um, and Customs and Border Protection in particular uh, have been asking the right questions and are facing reality that they are going to be responsible for this now. And I think that's the cause for, um, for some of the backpedaling. However... Uh, Biden will be under extreme pressure from his left flank to open the borders and do it quickly. So uh, this will be interesting to watch, but unfortunately, yes, our, uh, our national security, our sovereignty, our economy, and health are all at stake here. Um, this isn't a game. This is very serious. And, and as you stated at the beginning, our security is the foundation for prosperity. 
And um, so it's going to be difficult to manage, but that's why he ran for the job. Well, yeah, and by the way, folks, if you're just joining us, talking uh, with our guest this morning, Ms. Uh, Laura Reese, she's a senior research fellow for Homeland Security at the Heritage Foundation. She has over 23 years' experience in the immigration and homeland security arena. Uh, she was twice uh, at the Department of Homeland Security and worked on management and immigration policy uh, and operations issues, most recently as the acting deputy chief of staff. So, you know, a lot of experience. I know, you know you're know, you probably uh, fortunate to be able to talk to a lot of um, very um, educated and experienced people in this area that maybe are down on the border and that that really helps when you share you know what you know and what you've learned with the uh, with the audience because we all uh, gain from that and and benefit from it and um, I, I guess I would say um, you know in your article again talking about uh, as you already mentioned remain in Mexico that policy that we had just kind of touch on that and give a, a refresher for people so they know exactly what it means right now and what it may not mean if there is a change sure so before that policy was put into place uh, migrants would um, come to the border claim fear that they couldn't return back to their country um, be allowed into the country and told okay you can appear before a judge on such and such a date and apply for asylum. And oftentimes, many never appeared for their court date and just disappeared into our interior. And wisely, Congress back in 1996, in a major immigration law, uh, created a section that said, uh, we can return asylum applicants to either Canada or Mexico, and they can await their immigration date, their court date there. It had never been used, but the Trump administration um, implemented it, and so it is completely lawful, despite opposition's claims, and it has worked considerably. And so once would-be migrants realized that just coming to the border and claiming fear was not going to be a ticket to get into the U.S. and disappear, the caravan stopped coming. Um, and so now this, this policy was also in conjunction with a number of cooperative agreements with the governments of Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, uh, because the Trump administration for the first time used leverage, and successfully so, and they agreed to take back their nationals and to take back uh, asylum applicants who traversed through their country uh, but didn't bother to apply for asylum there. Asylum is about security. It's about safety. And if you are truly fleeing for your life, you seek it in the first safe country in which you enter. You don't traverse three countries to come to the U.S. Um, it, it's not about forum shopping or country shopping. It's supposed to be about safety. And so the combination of these policies by the Trump administration have been very successful. And if they are undone by a Biden administration, we're going to see these flows um, increase even more than they've already started just since the fall. Yeah, sad. But, again, thank you. It's important, even though we don't 
want to hear it. It's important that we do, uh, and that was very uh, well explained, so I appreciate that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, continue our conversation with my guest this morning, Miss Laura Reese, and uh, talk a little more about some of the things that might be on tap as far as uh, what's going on. As far as border security, I mean, you know, we'll touch on north maybe a little bit, but we'll also continue to focus on the southern border. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor of Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And uh, you can go to iTunes and uh, get the Your Financial Editor program as a uh, podcast. So uh, we're wrapping up our conversation this morning with my guest. Uh, very glad to have joining us again, uh, Miss Laura Reese. Uh, she's a senior uh, research fellow for Homeland Security at the Heritage Foundation. Just go to heritage.org and... Uh, Type in R-I-E-S, and uh, Miss Reese, uh, her uh, bio will come up, and um, all of the links to the great work that she's done, and you'll be able to read and learn. And, you know, seriously, if you're going to have a conversation about this, um, you don't want to go off just the talking heads on TV or uh, you know, the Internet stuff. You really want to understand, and that's what this program is all about and why we invited uh, Miss Reese to come back on. So, Miss um, Reese, we were talking right before the break, and, and I, I mentioned that I would touch the northern border. Are there big concerns up north? I know it's nothing like down south, but what's your take on that? So you rarely hear about the northern border, and it is pretty porous. Um if you look at the states, I mean, geography is just great expanses of, of open land. And uh, it does not get the attention or the resources that the southern border does. Um, but many of the flows, you know, obviously come up from Central America and, and, and through Mexico. So that's where the attention is focused. Um, but, you know, of course, people can fly into Canada and then cross through Canada. Um, you know, there are many ways. But it, it doesn't tend to get attention until, you know, maybe a, a specific case arises where someone came that route through Canada and, and then, you know, did something subsequently. But um, it is open but doesn't get the attention. Yeah, and that there again, I mean, that's very, very interesting and informative because no one talks about the northern border. And I didn't know until you just actually said that, that it was uh, – you know, a very porous uh, border as well. Um, like you said, it's maybe a different type of uh, of person because you have to fly into Canada, as you mentioned, and then work your way down. But it's still scary, and um, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, you know, that you kind of enlightened us on that, that there still is a problem up north, and we need to be aware of it. So um, how do you think the uh, Custom Border Patrol professionals are going to work with uh, a new administration? I think it's going to resemble the Obama administration, frankly, and 
the uh, union was pretty vocal in the need for more law enforcement and um, and protecting the border. So um, it, it won't be as um, – it, it'll be quite different than the Trump administration, to be sure. And if you look at the language um, from the Biden campaign, when it addresses both um, Customs and Border Protection and Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, it is concerning the attitude, the language used towards law enforcement. And unfortunately, it it resembles uh, much of the attitude we've seen from the left regarding law enforcement in general and police. And as uh, with a, a treating them as needing more oversight and training and not trusting them. And so this is not, this will hurt morale within CBP and ICE to be sure. Um, so it, I don't think it's going to shape up to be a good relationship. It's really a shame. And that's the word that I had in my mind before you said it was morale, because um, it seems that that morale under this administration has been uh, encouraged and uh, that, you know, once again, they were being appreciated for the professional uh, work that they were doing. And to think that that might not be the case, uh, as with other law enforcement as you also touched on is uh very it's very disheartening i mean it you know you literally think every morning these people get up and go to protect the country and uh and unfortunately some don't make it home and we're going to look down on them uh just for doing their job and doing it well so that's uh that's a shame well this is something we're going to watch uh very closely i want to make sure that i keep it um, on maybe not the front burner, but the middle burner because of the things we talk about on this program. But I hope that, you know, maybe your schedule would allow for you to, to join us again in 2021 and, and give us an update and keep us in the know as to what's really happening out there. Absolutely. Uh, and there's one uh, Department of Homeland Security report I just want to flag for your viewers because it's very informative. It just came out at the end of December. Uh, and it's called the FY20 Enforcement Life Cycle Report. And it gives very interesting dis- statistics about um, what tactics to that are used and whether those immigrants are eventually removed or not. Just I'll just throw out one because I know time is short. Um, 98% of aliens who are continuously detained will be removed. Um, but there's a, a shortage of bed space, and so if they're not continuously detained, they often remain in the U.S. without any status. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Is that on um, on your website as well, or is that something they would just uh, do a search on? Um, they would find that at, at um, dhs.gov. It's in the uh, news clips. Um, and there's also a, a helpful infographic there on key findings on uh, the, this life cycle report. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. Again, I, I bet you 99.9% of the people uh, weren't aware of that. So thanks so much, Laura. And, uh, again, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it, and uh, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Goodbye now. And, uh, again, folks, uh, as Ms. Reese was saying, you can go to dhs.gov and click on their uh, news clips and find that Enforcement Life uh, 
program or uh, the the piece on that and and uh, be enlightened and educated there. Also, as I mentioned, you can go to heritage.org and uh, just uh, search uh, Miss Reese. Um, you type her name in R I E S. And you can see all of the information uh, that she has uh, made available to you and that the Heritage has made available to you. And um, I think it's going to make you smarter. So um, I, I hope that all uh, helps you. And um, Happy New Year to you. Look forward to talking to you on the Morning News Express with Bob Miller and Ryan Hedrick. And that's uh, live weekday mornings at 5.50, 6.50, 7.50 a.m. And um, we'll uh, also see you back here next Saturday on another edition of the Your Financial Editor program. So enjoy the rest of your weekend, and uh, thanks for being part of the program. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. editions of this program are available in the audio vault at wfmd.com news radio 930 wfmd frederick a connoisseur media radio station seven o'clock